On this episode of the History Worth Saving podcast, we're talking to a Broadway entertainer, a guy who has seen the dance world and the entertainment world change like never before as we entered into this pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. I've known this guy since college, so I can attest that he truly has seen a lot of change up there in the world. I'm talking about Brent Macbeth. He's joining us now from New York. Presumably, Brent, where you are uh, are taking precautions this morning, because I know that New York has seen a spike uh, in COVID. The reason I wanted to have you on, as we talked earlier, is because not only has COVID reshaped the way you work, it has opened a lot of new venues and doors uh, for entertainers as well, including dance classes online. I mean, if there was ever a way that I would have to call 911, it was from dancing in my house trying to keep up with you because as you know i am not a dancer but but this is the world we live in i mean this is this is where we're at now talk to me about that yeah it's true it's uh things have changed for everybody across the board no matter what profession but definitely the performing arts uh you know uh, everything that we do as performers is is geared for being in front of an audience being in front of a crowd um that live interaction uh, even as a dance teacher, we're so used to being in a small room with 20 dancers. And as we're teaching, we can feel their energy. We can we can sense whether they're getting it or if they need to slow down a little bit. Um, so there's in the performing world, it's all about one-on-one. Even if it's one person with a thousand people in an audience, it still feels like a one-on-one connection. So since you know COVID has shut things down, we've lost that ability to immediately connect with the audience one-on-one and everything's gone virtually. And I've most performers, most teachers have found a way to make it work and it's different. You know, we're doing it on zoom and uh, we're looking at little squares that represent dancers that are taking our class and we can kind of see what they're doing. We can kind of see how they move, but the square is so small on zoom. Can't really give the same kind of corrections that we would in a dance class when we're one-on-one face-to-face and same with performing a lot of performers have found a way to translate their craft to a zoom platform uh, where they are performing plays with 15 other people who are all in their own homes on their own computers and it works it, it certainly is a way of continuing our craft but it's it's not the same it's a, it's a different energy and I, I live about 10 steps away from Midtown, from the theater district here in New York. And it's, uh, it's, it's really sad walking towards Times Square when normally there'd be a hustle and bustle. There'd be the, the, the thousands of tourists that are, are coming from their, their dinner, heading to the theater, and the, the performers running from their fitness class trying to get to the, the theater before half hour. Um, the, the taxi cabs flying through Times Square trying to get people to the place on time. Um, the restaurants packed, you know, uh, people eating before the show. So that whole energy of, of Times Square has changed because three-fourths of the the industry that made up Times Square um, is currently not there. Um, so it is a little sad, but as performers, we are used to um, adversity and um, uncertainty in our careers. Uh, we're used to the ups and downs, the unemployment, the 
sudden show closing. So I think as performers, we're all fighting to keep ourselves uh, stable and on on top of everything. And I, I think for most for the most part, it's it's working. It's it's different, but it's working. One of the things I wanted to get into with you, and uh, you, I didn't say this up front because I wanted to say it now. Uh, you're currently uh, this instructor that we've been talking about, this teaching that you've been doing. Uh, it's at uh, New York City's historic Broadway Dance Center and uh, Steps on Broadway. You were also the uh, the dance captain of the international tour of the musical Fosse, which I think was uh, a true highlight in your career. But something that you have seen change is that for the traditional tap dancer, and I, I, that harkens back sort of to vaudeville, to the vaudeville days of Broadway when things were much different on Broadway, you've sort of found a home, a unique home, uh, as the star of the Big Apple Circus, which brings in some of those elements of dance and singing and everything back under the big top. Talk to me about that transition in your career, because I never, if you'd said Brent Macbeth is going to be <laughs> a clown at a huge circus, at none, nonetheless, the Big Apple Circus, I would have looked at you like something had happened, like this is not the same guy, but, but yet you have found... Uh, such a loving home and a great home uh, in in the clown world, it you know, in the circus, if you will. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, when I was a kid, we went to Ringling Brothers every year. My parents took me um, to the, well, at that point it was the Summit in Houston where the Rockets played. We'd go to see the, the Ringling Brothers Circus. I loved the clowns. I loved when they came close to me. I loved just the energy, the the physicality. But never in my wildest dreams did I think I should pursue that as a career. There's a lot of people that see a clown in the circus and they immediately go to Ringling Brothers Clown College and they pursue it. I, my mindset was always on musical theater, on stage, tap dancing. Um, so I went, you know, we went to college together. I was a musical theater major and I graduated, went on tour with Fosse for two years. And I, I met a, a friend on that tour who when the tour finished, we both moved to New York around the same time. And he started working with this theater company here in New York called Parallel Exit. And Parallel Exit creates shows that are nonverbal. They are comedic in nature. Um, they're slightly on the slapstick, but more on the vaudevillian side of, of comedy. Um, if you think Mr. Bean, Charlie Chaplin, uh, Buster Keaton... It's that style of storytelling through comedy, but no words involved. Sounds, music, uh, noises, but no real words. Um, so my friend Ryan was working with this company, and at that point the company had not incorporated tap dance into this vaudeville aesthetic. Um, but my friend said to the director of the company, uh, Mark Lonergan's the director, uh, my friend Ryan said, I think tap dancing would be great for one of your shows and I have this idea for a three person tap show about three vaudeville hoofers who in their heyday were stars. They were celebrities, but now they're in their eighties um, living together. Uh, they've given up the business, but they're probably going to lose their apartment soon because they can't afford to pay the rent. Um, so they'll, we can do the show where they're flashbacks to the really flashy tap numbers. And then current day when they're trying to get that, that feeling back in their body, but they're obviously limited by mobility and, and, and brain function. And so we created this show together and it was 
quite successful for being the first endeavor into something like this. And we traveled to a couple of clown festivals um, in Europe with the show. We performed it here in New York a few times. And then the theater company Parallel Exit continued creating other shows similar in nature. Um, and at some point, um, Mark Lonergan, the director, and his good friend, also one of our co-creators, Joel Jeske, they were involved with Big Apple Circus here in New York. And Big Apple Circus decided to bring in Mark Lonergan as the director and Joel Jeske as one of the writers and clown creators. And at that point, we'd all been working together for so long that Joel and Mark asked if I'd be interested in being a part of a season at Big Apple Circus. And I immediately said yes, because whoever gets the chance to actually run away with the circus, people joke about it, but having that sudden opportunity to live, and this sounds so weird as I'm saying it, but it is the, the, the fun part of Big Apple Circus. You live in your own RV trailer, a 28-foot RV trailer, on a parking lot next to a circus tent, next to a tent that has 20 horses um, in a cast of uh, Africans and Russians and uh, a Ukrainian juggler. Um, and you travel around the country doing three shows a day. If it's raining outside, the rain rushes through the tent and you know, underneath you, and you're you're slopping through all this mud trying to get to the performance. And once you're in the tent, you're in this magical space of, of enclosure where there's this audience all around you. Uh, and I, I couldn't pass that up, and I agreed to do one season. And then luckily, I had the opportunity to to do a second season. Uh, I don't know that I, <laughs> I would ever do it again. Um, it, it was a lot to to navigate through just because it is a, a hard life. It is, um, you're living in trailers. So if it's freezing outside, the water supply to your trailer freezes as well. Um, it, it, it's difficult, but the emotional and professional reward was incredible. I loved it. Uh, when you're in musical theater, you're taught, ignore the audience. Don't, don't respond to what they're giving you. Just do the show as you've rehearsed with your castmates, continue on, um, and with circus, especially as a clown, your job is to keep the audience engaged. So if you feel like you've just done something, there's this five-year-old belly laughing next to you, you have the opportunity to turn to that child and, and say, that's funny, right? You, you, you get to respond to the audience. You're, you're trying to make the audience a part of the show as opposed to musical theater where you're just kind of – presenting it to them and allowing them to be a part of it. Circus, the clown's job is to pull the audience into the ring with the performers. Um, so it was unbelievable. I, I loved every second of it. Um, it. It was a little hard to go back to actual rehearsed theater um, because you have to kind of give up that improvisational part during the performance. Um, I think one thing that Circus has done for me as a performer it's opened my mind to improvisation in the creation part um, a little more than I was prepared for before. Um, before as a musical theater performer, I was just kind of told, do your best. The director will, will shape you, will mold you. Um, but with this, it was, you create a clown piece based on your strengths, your, your, um, your attributes. 
and then yeah it was it was amazing i loved it um it was a fantastic time of my life we've had a rodeo clown on now we can say we've had a circus clown on i just thought of that (laughs) (laughs) not too far apart either the the circus no doubt was was a highlight in your career and i think it 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 will go on the shelf of the Brent Macbeth career field uh, as one of those those major milestones, just like Fosse or any of the other Broadway shows that you've been in. How has this time, though, that we're in right now? How how do you think it's going to it's going to shape the theater moving forward? Um, I, it's it's definitely going to be an interesting journey moving forward. Uh, I mean, there are so many little pieces involved in that. Uh, you've, first of all, just trying to logistically get theaters open again and safe, not only for the audience, but for the performers and the musicians, uh, just having a safe environment where people can come in, breathe the same air in that tiny little space, that's already a huge uh, hurdle for producers. Uh, and then also just financially, there's um, a big hurdle. Uh, you figure most of these shows have backers who put in a lot of money with the certainty that things are going to run for long times and recuperate the money. So even that that area of theater, there's a, a higher level of uncertainty right now, especially at this moment, because we don't know, will we get shut down again? Will we go in lockdown again? Uh, and then for performers, a lot of performers couldn't afford to live in New York City at the moment because I, I, I've been very lucky that my career has not just been solely performing in New York and making money. I've had to find other outlets along the way, like teaching dance, doing other little performance um, uh, styles. But there's certain people that, they made their full paycheck, their full career off of dancing and Broadway shows. So they had apartments here in New York City that reflected that income and that success. Well, when the Broadway shows close and there's no end in sight as to when they'll open, you now have people who have, very luckily for them, not had to take on waiting tables, teaching dance, all of these other side jobs. But now they're left with a much lower income than they had ever had to live with. They're not only their profession, but their passion has been pulled away from them. You know, uh, theater is more than just making money doing, doing plays. It's, it's, it's actually our internal passion. It's what we've, most of us have been doing since we were children. So I've had a lot of friends that have been forced to actually hopefully sublet their apartment and move back with their parents to Ohio, Montana, Texas, um, because there's just no point in a lot of people being here in the city if they're not doing what they love to do and they're, they're paying so much rent to be here. Um, so I think even that has changed for performers, um, how theater will come back. Uh, it's a lot of moving pieces that are going to be, uh, difficult to navigate, but the thing about theater people, uh, across the board, the, the performers, the producers, we're a, we're a tough stock. We're, um, we're a, a fighting group. The idea that anyone chooses to go into this very unpredictable profession means that they're not a quitter. They're not, um, they're not gentle in, in their nature. 
Uh, in fact, I was just on a, a text this morning with a friend of mine from high school who it's his birthday and I sent him the obligatory Facebook. Hey, happy birthday. And we started chatting and he said, I'm trying to keep up with everything you're doing online, but it seems like you are so busy. And I, I said, yeah, it, 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 I am busy because I, I love what I do. And the idea of um, taking on a nine to five computer job scares the life out of me. I would much rather be teaching dance five times a week and then teaching uh, an acting class and then teaching a uh, improv class somewhere else and taking this class here. I would much rather be doing all of these things, these side projects, these creative um, outlets. I'd much rather be doing that and, and, and getting by than take a job that is just for the paycheck that means nothing to me emotionally. Um, I was just watching a, uh, an interview with Patti Lapone. Uh, I believe she was being interviewed by Dick Cavett, I think. But um, she was talking about the feeling the performer gets when they first walk into the theater before a show starts. And from your dressing room, as you're getting ready for the show, you can hear the taxi cabs pulling up to the theater. You can hear the people outside smoking their cigarettes, the, the buzz, that energy, that chit-chat, the, the, the excitement of people. Where's the tickets? Maury, did you bring the tickets? Where are the tickets? I got the tickets. You, know, you hear all that outside the theater. And then once they make their way into the theater, you can hear them in the audience. You can hear that buzzing, all that, oh, I had no idea she was in the show. Oh, I didn't know we saw her in that. Oh, that's, you, know, you hear that energy and you hear the orchestra warming up. Uh, and you're backstage with your fellow castmates who you have spent months rehearsing with and, and performing with. So there's this intimate nature that's already backstage. So there's this buzz that happens an hour before the show starts. And it's one of the things that I think all of us as performers miss the most you, is that, that interaction, that buzz, that, 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 that energy that, that pushes us into curtain up, opening number, and then two hours you're going to sit in this theater with us and enjoy a performance. Um, so I think that that drives most of us as performers and also as as arts educators as well. Um, so lacking that in our lives, I think only pushes us further to make it happen again, get it up and running again. I don't think uh, anyone will be willing to just like, well, that's it. Theater's dead. Goodbye. Sadly, somewhere right now in a coffee shop, there are several people gathered around a notepad and they're writing Zoom the musical. <laughs> that at it's some true. point you might audition for. I mean, but I, I, you have found a way. You are a tough stock. And I think that that's the wonderful part about this. But we will see, no doubt, some inevitable changes come as a result of this. Some maybe for the good, some, you know, maybe not for good, but just temporarily as we get over this hump. I'm excited for it, but how do you how do you move forward right now as a performer? Is it is it well, this is what we're doing right now or is it this is what's on the horizon? Are you looking forward to to some big audition that you know of something that's in the works or is it just you can't think that far out and right now this this is what you think about? I I hmm, wow, that's that's a good one. Well, you know, even as a dance teacher, uh, who I, I teach tap, and a lot of the people that take tap classes are, are generally theater people. 
there is a population of dancers who have no desire to do theater, but they just love tap as an art form. But I'd say a large population of the, te- the, the students that I encounter, they are theater people training to be better tap dancers for theater. And currently, as teachers, we've had the, the, the dilemma of keeping students interested in taking class when those students know that they're not going to be auditioning for another year. Uh, if Broadway doesn't open up until, um, let's say, September 2021, there's these students that feel, why should I take, why should I spend my money taking a class when I know that this is not going to help me f- at this moment? Um, so we've had to encourage students. It's it's not just about the audition that's coming up in a year from now. It's about the passion and joy you have for this art form now. So you're not taking the class to make yourself better for then. You're taking yourself, you're taking the class now to make yourself better now and to enjoy that art form that so many of us share. Um, uh, you know, I, I've had so many different branches of my career. There are some that only focus on Broadway. My, my goal is to be on Broadway. I'm going to spend my whole life in New York City performing on a Broadway stage. I've never really had that, that mindset. I've always thought, if there's a cool opportunity that comes my way that might be a little different from anything I've ever done, I'm going to take it and, and enjoy it and love it. And then if it's over, it's over, and I'll move on to the next thing. Um, so I've always, I've always been okay with the uncertainty in the future. I've always been okay with that idea that where will I be in four months from now? I don't know. Maybe I'll be teaching dance online. Maybe I'll, maybe another clown gig in Europe will come up and I'll fly across to Europe and, and do a clown show for three months. Uh, I keep myself motivated these days by just enjoying the moment now and trying to make it as effortless and easy as possible. There's there's nothing easy about teaching dance online, especially tap. Um, most of the people, I can't see their feet because their cameras are from their waist up. I can't hear the sounds that they're making because if we had every camera on the, then it would just be this big clutter of noise. So I can't really hear what they're doing. I can't see what they're doing. So I just have to um, give them a class that I hope not only inspires them, but also challenges them. And uh, it's, it's um, yeah, the, the whole thing, the teaching, the performing, it's a constant change, but I think that's what theater people are about. I mean, we don't use the term anymore. It's, it's considered, um, I think, it's a disrespectful term, but for years, performers were known as gypsies. Um, we are traveling nomadic people that kind of live this slapdash life of, of uncertainty, and one week we're in Peoria, the next we're in Sacramento. Um so it's already kind of built into our nature to to shape, to change. Uh, I think those that live the 30 years in one profession, the 30 years in accounting, 30 years teaching, which is all very respectful, and I, I could never do it. So it's incredible that people can spend that long in a profession, but you're never forced to address that idea of change and shift and and reimagining 
Um, one of the things a performer has to do, even in their own personal career, they moved to New York as a 20-year-old, so they're considered an ingenue, a young lead. Um, they get to middle age, and all of a sudden they're not getting called in for those young characters anymore. They're getting called in for the the fathers, and then a couple of years later you realize because of the salt and pepper in your hair, you're getting called in for the comedic older roles. So even as uh, even in that regard, a performer has to shift their own personal publicity of who they are as a performer. You can't just continue to play the, the young lead into your 50s. Um, so it's just kind of part of who we are, changing and, 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 and reshaping. Um, yeah. What have you fallen in love with, with this time away, this time off uh, from a daily performance. I mean, I know you're doing the, the classes and stuff, but what have you rediscovered in your own life or, or maybe discovered about yourself with this sort of, as I like to think of it, is sort of this time to, to just be, to kind of spend time with your family, to be at home. What, what have you discovered about Brent Macbeth during all of this that, wow, I really love this? Mm, wow. I know that early on, when we first, when New York first went into lockdown and there was a uh, inevitable um, you're you're in this for the long haul so settle in and, and relax um, I rediscovered yoga which was good because a for the body it was great but also for the mind I needed some way to to zone away from the reality of life and and actually kind of allow things to be in the moment rather than stress about the moment at hand uh, yoga was great at the beginning of all this, but also uh, my love for cooking. Um, not being able to go out to restaurants all the time, uh, my partner and I had to cook a lot more than we usually do, and we usually cook a lot, but this time during lockdown with no restaurants open, we really had to cook. So uh, having that that forced uh, forced need to cook dinner and lunch was fun. I, it it encouraged me to try new recipes, try new styles, go back to things that I had cooked before that we really liked but I hadn't thought about in a long time. Um, also, music as well. I've had a lot of time to listen to music. I, I took up running, which I had never done in my life. I always dreaded it because thought my knees will blow out, my ankles will twist and all that. But, you know, the gyms were closed, so I had to take up running at the beginning of all of this to keep myself in shape. And while I was running, I'd listen to music, and I'd just put it on a random Spotify playlist, let it let it go, let it play. Um, and rediscovering music that I'd kind of forgotten about. Um, normally, when things are running crazy day-to-day-to-day-to-day, to day to day to day, I don't have time to just kind of allow myself to listen to music. I've got to think about other things, but... When there's not much to think about professionally, you have a lot of time to just let the mind enjoy. And, uh, yeah, discovered a, rediscovered a love for Count Basie. I um, really, since pandemic started, I've used a lot of Count Basie in my life. It's, uh, <laughs> that's not a bad a good one thing, to, you know? I mean, that's not no, a bad thing. not at all. Most of my dancers will tell you 99% of the music I use for class is, is Count Basie. And then the rest of it's probably Ella Fitzgerald, the other one percent. Gotta love that. Well, I, I look, Brent. One of these days, I want to see 
I want to see your Christmas card collection because I just envision all of these fascinating people that you've gotten to <laughs> to work with. You know, Yuri the Juggler and uh, all of these all of these characters from from throughout your life oh. uh, who love you and who uh, who send you those those wishes every year of a Merry Christmas. I, listen, my sincere thanks for coming on this show, and and I, I hope you have a wonderful holiday season as we as we move into it. And I can't wait to see what's around the, the corner for you as a performer because you continuously reinvent yourself. You continuously find new avenues. And I think that's what makes you history worth saving. And Brent Macbeth, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Matt. It's been, been great. A, been a real pleasure having you here. Listen, folks, if you want to follow along with the History Worth Saving podcast, I would encourage you to do so. Just register right there at the website for the email newsletter. It comes out once a month. It's historyworthsaving.com. You can Go there and find out everything you want to know about the show. My thanks again to you, Brent, for coming on, and we'll talk next time on History Worth Saving. So long for now, everyone. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.